It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio, and thank you very much for joining me this morning. I'm going to start off with yet another lawsuit towards the Fish and Wildlife Service. You've heard me talk frequently about we need to let wildlife managers manage, and we need to get legislators and litigators out of wildlife management, whether it be land management, forestry management, which of course is land management, fisheries management, hunting, whatever it might be. We, we have trained professionals in all 50 states. We have a Department of Interior. We've got a Department of Bureau of Land Management, Fish and Wildlife Service, etc. But that's not the way how our world works anymore. So I'm going to talk for just a moment about the headline, environmental group sues to block new hunting and fishing opportunities on public wildlife refuges. This is called by almost every conservation group, basically a brazen attempt to block hunting and fishing from using public land, renewable resources, etc. So this, this group, a group we've never heard of, Center for Biological Diversity. If you look them up, you'll, you won't see much. The Center for Biological Diversity has sued the Fish and Wildlife Service to reverse the Trump administration's 2020 decision to increase hunting and fishing access on 2.3 million acres of land across 147 federally managed wildlife refuges. It was the largest expansion of hunting opportunity, well, in, in certainly over three decades. The incoming Biden administration continued with this ruling, feeling that the opportunity which is fabulous, the opportunity to expand hunting opportunities on National Wildlife Refuge was in keeping with the mission of the National Wildlife Refuge system where wildlife management is to take place. Yes, there are areas of refuges that are closed to hunting for obvious reasons, but there are also areas of of refuges that are open to hunting. So the Trump administration made the greatest expansion almost in history of hunting on our National Wildlife Refuge, and the Biden administration's backed it up. But now there's a lawsuit to stop it, saying that because of the use of lead shot, that uh, wildlife and fisheries are imperiled, and that therefore there should be no hunting on National Wildlife Refuges because lead shot is used. It's not always used. There are many National Wildlife Refuges where you can only use steel shot, but the point is is that once again, it's really an anti-hunting group. It, it's, not, it's not a group of hunters that once again are, are trying to, to turn things around and make it positive. No, it's, it's an anti-hunting group masquerading as something called the Center for Biological Diversity, uh, which is trying to shut down access to our refuges for, for people like you and me. It's, it's a bad deal. And hopefully the Biden administration hangs tough. They understand the value of having the public, you and me, be able to use our national wildlife refuges. They understand where the money comes from to manage and to buy our national wildlife refuges, the federal duck stamp program having been the single largest contributor in history for the purchase of of refuges. So hopefully we don't end up with a situation where a bunch of lawyers turn off the spigot 
to access for millions of Americans. And I do think this lead hunting, this lead issue ban is, is real. Uh, we, we stopped using lead shot for, for waterfowl hunting a long time ago, almost 40 years ago now. Um, and we, in many places, don't use it for upland bird hunting. But a, populations of, of birds that have been impacted by DDT and lead shot are by and large thriving. DDT, as I've talked about frequently on the air, is, is working its way out of the system. And lead shot, I mean, we've never, in, in almost in, the, in recorded history, we could say, our raptor populations are, are, have exploded. Bald eagles, golden eagles, peregrine falcons, all kinds of scavenger birds have just exploded in population, I believe largely due to the removal of DDT from the system. I don't think it's as much the removal of lead shot from waterfowl hunting, but we have exploding raptor populations, so there's really no indication that using lead shot on national wildlife refuges for shooting upland birds or for shooting uh, deer or elk or moose or whatever it might be it, it is harming populations. Populations are thriving. So this is, this is something we're going to have to spend time on, and hopefully, um, unfortunately, it's in the courts, so it's out of our hands. It doesn't do any good to write your senator or congressman or make a call and say this is terrible because it's, it's the lawyers who, once again, are trying to deprive us of not only our rights, but trying to deprive us of, of good management of our, of our natural resources. Uh, time zones. We're hearing a lot about the need to just be on one time. We sprung forward last week and not go back in the fall and spring forward in the spring. Uh, there's a bill passed the Senate uh, this week to uh, make it permanent that we have daylight savings time, which means we are uh, moving forward and we would stay where we are. I remember years ago, I'm sure many of you do as well, when this issue last came up and uh, there were people who were in favor of it and people who were against it. And eventually we went back to um, making it dark early in the fall when the clock goes back and making it daylight longer in the spring um, and summer. I think it's a pretty interesting discussion from the point of view of let's talk about hunting and fishing for a moment. Let's particularly talk about hunting that requires you to get up in the middle of the night. So let's particularly talk about duck and goose hunting. In the fall, we go back and suddenly, you know, you got to get up at four o'clock in the morning to go out and get someplace wet and cold and hope a duck or a goose comes your way. Uh, that works great for people who want to be able to go hunt for a couple hours and then go to work. And that's a lot of people who duck hunt and goose hunt. So going back in the fall, even though it means we have to get up really early, uh, is actually pretty popular with people who hunt ducks and geese. doesn't matter so much for people who hunt pheasants and quail. They're, they're going to be mid-morning birds um, for the most part as fall goes on. But certainly waterfowl hunters, as much as we complain about having to get up in the middle of the night, it actually works to our advantage because we get more time in the blind before we have to run off to the work or do something else. On the other hand, I, for one, and I, I think probably a lot of you agree with me, absolutely hate it being dark at 4.20 in the afternoon in Chicago in December. How depressing. And no matter where you are, it gets dark too early. So I think waterfowl hunters, which are probably in the sporting community, the group that's most would be most opposed to this, I think we can come around, and of course, nobody's asking us our opinions anyway, 
But if you're listening and you're a duck or goose hunter, uh, I think we can come around and say it would be a whole lot nicer to have another hour of daylight at the end of the day than it is to to drive home in the dark all the time. Uh, we'll see what happens. But the the idea of having daylight later is unquestionably a boost to overall outdoor recreation. Think of all the school kids. I had them. Many of you have them or have grandkids. They don't go to the playground when it's dark in the afternoon uh, in the middle of winter. So I think from the point of view of using our recreational resources, it's fantastic that we would have a permanent hour later of of daylight than we have now. And uh, so what if we get up in the dark? Um, I'd rather get up in the I'd rather get up in the dark than drive home in the dark after work. So that's my feeling. And for for deer hunting and turkey hunting and and all the hunting that takes place in the outdoors, we'll adjust if we happen to like the earlier sunrise. But I hope that we do go with a permanent uh, daylight savings time. I think that would be would be great for outdoor recreation in general. And let's face it, we get more time in the afternoon after work or maybe you take off from work early to go have a chance to to go hunt pheasants or quail or or shoot some geese uh, or go turkey hunting it works both ways i'll be back in just a moment much more of the great outdoors show when i do i'm going to talk about that subject which everyone's talking about which is gas prices but i'm going to talk about it in a different context you're listening to charlie potter on the outdoor voice of chicago and america 720 wgn and first a message from our longtime sponsors the northwest indiana and chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert, sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are, communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you're enjoying the show, and if you're just joining me, I'm not going to talk about the price of gas and what's causing it. Plenty of people are doing that. I'm going to talk for a moment about what it means to those of us who love the outdoors. And we're thinking now that Canada's opened up again of heading north and going across the border to go fishing this summer. Or maybe we're going up to the Lake of the Woods. Maybe we were going to to Quetico and to go canoeing, or maybe we were going to drive out west. The impact on gas prices and the outdoor recreation business is profound. We've been through this before. Boats stopped getting sold. People stopped driving their RVs. RVs. Fishing trips get canceled. Camping trips get canceled. It has a huge impact on the outdoor recreation industry. I've been talking to a number of resort and lodge owners and outfitters in Canada and across 
but to the Midwest and, and, and across the West. And they are very fearful that coming out of COVID, they saw incredible demand. I mean, you can't you can't book a lodge or resort right now. They are they are absolutely booked. But because the demand from people not being able to go is, is so strong, and many of you listening, I think probably you're going somewhere or would like to go somewhere. But it's going to quickly change with gas prices at these levels. Uh, they are very worried about a collapse in their business. Also, not only is it expensive now to get there for people driving, but resorts, lodges, all these places that have fly-out float planes and boats, one of their most expensive uh, costs is diesel fuel, jet fuel, or gasoline. So they suddenly are dealing with huge increases on, on their end. They've locked in their prices for customers who sign contracts. Several people I talked to said, well, we're just going to have to add a, a fuel surcharge, and that's the way it's going to be. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see how that goes. But there is a, a real potential here that the outdoor recreation industry, which thrived during COVID, everywhere license sales were up, whether it's fishing or hunting or boat. I mean, boats flew out of, you couldn't, you still can't get a boat. Everything's on back order. Uh, could come to a screeching halt when individuals suddenly realize just how expensive it's going to be to use that boat or to drive 400 miles. Uh, it's very sad. The outdoor industry, um, in a lot of ways, helped save a lot helped a lot of us save ourselves through COVID. We could get outside. Of course, you couldn't get on the beach. You couldn't go on the lakefront in Chicago. I will never get off that kick about wondering what on earth the mayor of Chicago was thinking about shutting down Chicago, the outdoor parks and, and Chicago's lakefront for people to be able to go and get outside and walk and run. And the whole point of, of getting outside was critical to health during COVID. And yet Chicago, as we all know, uh, as did other areas, Chicago's not alone, but Chicago, I think, was just about the worst. With our miles of lakefront, boarding the whole thing up, arresting people who tried to use the lake, uh, it was ridiculous. You don't need gas to get to Chicago's lakefront. There's public transportation, and you can walk there. But if you want to go up to northern Wisconsin this summer, or you're going to head up to, as I said, up to, into Canada, up around Winnipeg, or wherever you might be going in Ontario, Something going to get very expensive, and then that's going to have an impact. And, and the impact ripples throughout the economy. It, it affects immediately equipment sales. Uh, I've talked to a number of boat dealers who are seeing, uh, while things are so backed up on deliveries, they're seeing individuals begin to think twice uh, with rising interest rates and the price of gas about whether they really want to buy that Lund fishing boat. So we'll keep an eye on it. Let's hope it doesn't last. The outdoor industry has been, as I said, just one of the saviors of this COVID period, and we don't, we don't want to lose that opportunity. And, and let's hope that, that this isn't too big a hit to the resorts and lodges, who, by the way, struggled mightily throughout COVID. They had no customers, most of them for two years. In Canada, they had no customers for two years. And while the Canadian government helped pay some of the bills, uh, these resorts and lodges and outfitters and camps, uh, they're not doing very well. And, and this could be an ill-timed double whammy for them. Uh, for a second, I want to talk about R3, which I'll come back to more in the coming weeks. R3 being that wonderful program, recruit, recruit retain, and reactivate for hunting. Uh, it is the, well, it's, 
it's in vogue. Almost every state has an R3 coordinator, a person whose job it is, or persons, plural, whose job it is, is to get more people hunting and target shooting. Wonderful goal. I'm all for it. Uh, and and they found a, a pile of money because they can now access Pittman-Robertson funds for R3, and uh, that's going to mean a lot of money coming into this program. And it's great. I've asked this on the air before, and we're going to get more into it, but the central question seems to be right now, how many hunters do we actually have in America? And do we have a pretty good, are we pretty sure that we know how many hunters there are in America? And, and as part of that, well, the reason we have to ask that question is because what's going to describe success with this program R3, of which hundreds of millions of dollars are going to be spent in the coming decade, guarantee it. How do we measure success of R3? Is it to keep the number of hunters we have today? And if it's to keep the number of hunters we have today, how many hunters do we have? It appears that we may not know how many hunters we have. And it also appears as a question, which makes sense, is how do you define a hunter? Is it someone who buys a license every year, every third year? Is it someone who went once in the last 25 years? What constitutes a hunter? These are the questions we have to ask ourselves before we decide how to proceed with, with R3. If our goal is to have as many hunters as we have now, how are we going to do that? Uh, because we don't know the baseline, or we don't think we know the baseline. If our goal is to increase the number of hunters because it will drive more revenues for the states, which I think is a big part of this R3 program, you cannot talk about R3 without the states talking about their, their concern about a losing revenue. So if we're going to have more revenue, if we want more hunters, the question is, where are they going to hunt, and what are they going to hunt? So I leave you with that thought today. How many hunters do we really have? Do we know? What constitutes a hunter? And most importantly, if we want more hunters, where are they going to hunt and what are they going to hunt? Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back much more with the great outdoors next week. I hope you have a great week as spring unfolds in the great outdoors, or tries to unfold. This is Charlie Potter, your host of the great outdoors show on WGN Radio, the outdoor voice of Chicago and America.